everyone, this is Regina. So glad you could join us today. We want you to know that we record live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Let's get into our discussion today. All right, let's go look to the Lord. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this day. We can't thank you enough because your grace is much more sufficient than all of our rigors and woes that we may be going through. So we just thank you for being a most high God, for being a God that is more than enough, for being a God that loves us and cares for us. And irrespective of whatever is going on around us, you have already provided a way. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for this time together. We ask you to bless this time that we'll learn of, of you, learn of each other, learn of the words that you've given me to write in the book, and that uh, your will be done in each of our lives, individually and also collectively. So we thank you for this time. We give you all the praise, glory, and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay. I was just pinging a few people in um, so that we could get started. All right. We are going to continue our conversation in the book, Woked Up, and we are still only in the third chapter. Um, last week, we had a, a good discussion about worshiping at the altar of Darwin. And we're gonna continue now with the, just one moment, please. We have some technical difficulty here. Okay, we lost you completely there, Kevin. And guys, hold on one moment. I just need to. Do Can you hear me? Yeah, go. but you you left Streamyard for a moment, so. Yeah, I came just, back in. Okay, I just want to make sure that Streamyard can hear us. And they can. Okay. Okay. Good. All right. Um. So let's go. All right, we are. On page around 43 of uh, chapter 3 and we're going to talk about scientific justification for white supremacy and so the let's uh, just begin with this this the 1700s and 1800s enshrined slavery in North and South America so indeed, people adopted socially and culturally dominant attitudes. That said, Darwin was the first of his stature to provide scientific justification or partiality based, inhumane, and disproportionate treatment based on anthropological studies. That justification led to ontological institutionalism of racism and white supremacy. From that point forward, racism was recognized, encouraged, and upheld. Think about it. Racism can be similarly, summarily defined as the overlaying of collective, institutionalized maltreatment of individuals based solely on immutable characteristics, in this case, color of skin. Every marked individual is connected to entire people groups, 
that are then deemed as undeserving of equal treatment because of their inferiority identified by color of skin. This ideology is exactly what Darwin widely disseminated and unleashed. Biological arguments for racism may have been common before 1859, but they have increased by orders of magnitude following the acceptance of evolutionary theory. And that's from Stephen J. Gould of Harvard University. Under the influence of Darwin's theories, white supremacy accelerated as the Caucasians were enshrined as superior to other races. All other races were deemed a variation of a subclassification or even subhuman. Because Darwin distinguished these classifications, we can see Darwin's work unleashed the racist, enslaving, and genocidal worldview. Darwin's works have been celebrated. His theories are still mostly trumpeted as scientific fact. The world's elites still bow at his altar. Entire governments eagerly imbibe his theories and use his works to justify evil policies and schemes for more power and control over their citizens and subjects. Thinkers who challenge Darwinism face losses of job and exclusion. It's as if there was an insatiable need and desire to inculcate evil. Since its original publishing, Darwin's works, in some form, have justified inflicting horrific human suffering on innocents for some of the worst and most notorious mass murdering regimes in history. Despite the acceleration of horrific evils, most people continue to revere Darwin as great and a virtuous man. For some reason, Darwin has been insulated from scrutiny, never blamed for institutionalizing racism and white supremacy. But that all changes starting now. So Kevin, um, I guess the first thing is make a statement about why you made this statement because scientific justification for white supremacy is a rather bold sentence. It is bold. It is bold. So if we can put our minds back to um, the 1800s and realize that slavery was still was still going on. So obviously we had white supremacy. No, no. Slavery was a manifestation of economic opportunism. Economic opportunism. So the slave owner, owners at that time, they saw free labor. Pick that cotton, pick them, uh, you know, cigar leaves or whatever else they had growing. And that was, uh, you know, and so we had these we had these situations that we would think, uh, you know, confirm that, look, white supremacy already existed. So what are you talking about? Why are you blaming it all on Darwin? And all I'm saying is, no, there was no scientific uh, mind. And Darwin was seen as a brilliant mind. He was renowned as a great scientist. And prior to his proclamation about white supremacy and his proclamation about that white supremacy is really a thing. Remember, we talked about linguistic distinctions and how they become a thing, how they are created and how they 
have life after somebody, you know, brings them forth. Well, to be consistent, that's exactly what happened with, with Darwin. I mean, he says, look, we're, we're clearly our superior race. We have superior intellect. We have superior resourcefulness compared to every other ethnicity. So the deal is this. We're superior. We are a supremacist race, period. And it was grounded scientifically by a great scientist. Then uh, he said, you know, by the way, these other ethnicities, they're subhuman. Uh, they can be equivalent to apes, savages, gorillas. And he said that specifically about blacks. So, so while you had slavery and while you had all these other things happening, ethnic strife and tribalism and all this other stuff, um, there was not until Darwin came out and made the proclamation of white supremacy, white supremacy wasn't a thing. It was just opportunistically, I don't like you. You're from another tribe. You're from another ethnicity. You're from another part of the world. I don't like you. So it was bias. It was prejudice, uh, you know, and, and to some degrees it was bigotry, but it wasn't coordinated. It wasn't active. It wasn't inculcated as a scientific fact until Darwin said, Scientific fact, baby. White supremacy. So that's how it happened. Okay. I have some questions I'm going to state here from your book for us to think about. And then we're going to continue uh, just reading a few more paragraphs and then really get into discussion. Even though you state these questions at the end, I want to state them now so we can start thinking about them as a we continue in the chapter. So um, our first question is, why would someone of Darwin's stature summarily reject, and we haven't even gotten to Blumenbach yet, did we? No. Why no, I don't, think, I don't think we got to Blumenbach yet. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure how that question. Or did we? I don't think we did, but yet the question is here in the book. Did I skip, did we skip Blumenbach? I think he's in the, the next chapter, I remember. Um, yeah, okay. Let me continue with the questions because there's a, a bunch of them. So maybe some of them we'll answer next week. Um, why would someone of Darwin's stature summarily reject Blumenbach's scientific finding, no distinction between races, and continue headlong with his theories, asserting there is some level of equivalency between blacks and apes? and asserting white supremacy over all other races, ethnicities. Next thought, using today's cancel culture standards, why hasn't Darwin been canceled in all schools with all his theories expunged from the curriculum? Unbelievably, Darwin's covert racist white supremacist views still permeate the K through college curriculum. Why isn't Darwin rejected and denounced as the reigning uh, promulgator of ontological, you know, Kevin, less than 10 letters, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I need you to start writing words with less than 10 letters, please. Oh, no, no, it's so bad. <laughs> I, know, I know, it's so hard for you. It's like, <laughs> like I should get a dictionary and a, a um, yeah. And okay. believe it or not, this is the this this book is probably probably my first one and this one are the easiest ones to read. 
Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, and anthropological distinctions used to support racism and white supremacy in America. Now, Given you have me over here laughing and chuckling uh, because uh, some of those big $5 words, I have to write them down and go look them up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I know. He can even come up with six-letter words that I'm like, what? <laughs> Could, couldn't he, you know? Couldn't you have just said color? But no, you have to use like some, you know, twelve-letter word <laughs> to say that. <laughs> We're having fun here, people. Um, so, I think that what we're Given the historical facts about Darwin's scientific teachings underlying racism and white supremacy, shouldn't individuals, institutions, school systems, or education boards denounce him? Suppose they still fully embrace his works while refusing to renounce and denounce Darwin. Wouldn't they themselves, by today's definition, actually be deemed racist and white supremacist? So I think one of the things that I that you said, um, Kevin, were really important for us to grasp is that it's not that people didn't like other people before. And it's not that people didn't like people with other skin before. And it's not that greed didn't exist before. It's not that slave labor didn't exist before. It's not that power was not exerted over a weaker people group or a weaker um, gender. Mm -hmm. What we're saying now is what Darwin allowed to happen is that he gave it a name. He gave yes. it a defining structure. And yes. so therefore it became legitimate. Yes. If there was ever any decent uh, moral check in someone's spirit or soul beforehand now with knowledge there was this understanding well that's okay because yeah. isn't that how sin exists in our world is knowledge <laughs> right how decisions that lead you away from you know god's yeah. perfect intention for us is knowledge and so what we're seeing here is that knowledge is what has institutionalized what we have here as supremacy. Yes. Would that be good? That was excellent. That's exactly what we're seeing here. And you said it, you encapsulated it perfectly. Ooh, I get a star by my name today. Lonnie, let's see if you get a star. Do you have a comment? Uh, yes, <laughs> I Kevin do. Kevin gives uh... a star. <laughs> yes, he gave us, um, or he gave uh, society a mechanism to justify a scientific uh, justification for uh, man's inhumanity against his fellow man. You know, it's like it instituted a, a system and justification. It's all tied to ego and, um, and arrogance that, uh, because this, this has been scientifically proven now, whatever personal angst I had against someone because they looked different than me or came from a different part of the, of the world, um, I can now justify and there created um, in, in industry, if you will, um, as, as Kevin stated, you know, and, and you've stated um, man's hatred for his fellow man, for whatever reason, been around since uh, 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 
Cain and Abel. So it's um, now a mechanism that they can use to justify their uh, abhorrent behavior against their fellow man. And, and I guess once you get on that, uh, um, that merry-go-round, if you will, it just continues on and, and, and continues to get worse. And you think about what happened in America and, and how it became systematic in the South and, 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 and many parts of the, of the Eastern seaboard as well. Um, uh, I, I hearken it back to thinking about what uh, Hitler was able to accomplish in Germany once they were able to stir up the arrogance and pride in a portion of the German population that uh, somehow um, those who happened to have a, a Jewish persuasion um, somehow um, were able to gain an upper hand or something and then justify, and you know what happened there, and, and six million Jews lost their lives and, and, and many hundreds of thousands of other people who were different. Um, so he is I, I, I uh, was jotting some notes down about uh, about all of this. Is I, I think about how this individual, one individual with one thought process, just like Christ, who was one man who changed the world through 12 men. Uh, we have one individual with an evil intent, and it just takes hold like wildfire and spreads as a thought process um, th throughout the U.S., a young nation, but throughout the, the, a good portion of the world as well. And um, we have what we have today in, in its newest versions of, of, of that. If you happen to have a contrary view about vaccinations and the whole COVID thing that took place, you're oftentimes ostracized in public. And then those I've been speaking with in the healthcare community, um, they have to whisper if they have any challenge against this um, acceptance of uh, vaccinations throughout um, um, that exists over the last two and a half years. And it's really interesting how things can stir up and become an, a thing or an it. And if you don't fall into um, what a portion of the population says, then there's individuals who will ostracize you. It can cost you your job. Amen. 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 And I, I think that's a profound thing to, to think about as we continue down this idea of scientific justification. Because I think sometimes we, we put, we compare things to say whether it's bad or not bad, right? What's the you know, well, that's not so bad, or, you know, that's very evil, or it doesn't even seem bad if it doesn't affect us, right? So let's say that, you know, we hear that there are countries where there's just not clean drinking water. Well, if you live in the West or, you know, in a major city, that's not an issue for you. It may be bad that people don't have clean drinking water, but it's not something you wake up and think about every day. And there may be some that, that do have a heart bent towards that way. But in general, if it doesn't seem to affect you, then it's not bad. You're not going to put your energies towards it. You're not going to think about it. And you'll go on living your life. Now, in in general, I think as a people, as humanity, we have 
become more aware of environmental issues and the importance of having clean drinking water. But if you don't live in a country or live near people who have that or not have someone who's affected by it, it doesn't really bother you. And my point in saying that is that the scientific justification of white supremacy has become so normalized now that we never go back to think about the scientific justification of it or that we need to do something about it. You know, like, well, it's here. People think that way. Oh, well. You know, and we can choose to build our own communities, live in another part of the country, uh, avoid certain neighborhoods. But this is such a subtle thing that you cannot, we cannot any longer uh, decide that or make the non-decision to ignore, uh, to not pay attention. I don't know if that makes sense, what I'm saying. Yes, no, guys? I'm tracking with you, sis. That's that's good. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I in essence, what you're saying is, look, you know, we, we don't even contemplate scientific justification for it because we're, you, you know, we're so programmed to think that, hey, it's just here and we just got to deal with it. And oh, by the way, it's this group of people that's doing it. As if we know for a fact that it's actually being furthered by an individual, like, you know, they love to point to a past president or a group of individuals. They love to point to a past president's, um, you know, supporters, uh, as opposed to really seriously doing introspection and saying, you know, this is really a thing. What do I participate in this at all? What, you know, how do we, should we really look at this and find out, you know, how do we do this thing? How do we get rid of it? How do we, you know, and, um, and that's, that's a good synopsis because we don't even think about it, especially a scientific justification for it. That's ridiculous. How could you ever scientifically justify that thought doesn't cross most people's mind. It didn't cross my mind when I was writing the book. I was thinking, and then I, when I wrote it and I did the research, I'm thinking, fundamentally what Darwin did is he actually came up with a scientific justification for it. And, and you know, in his terms, you know, and, and at that time. And so that's what we're having to deal with today. Got it. Let's continue in this book. I am in chapter three. When they even think about Darwin's history of ideas, many will brazenly attempt to cover for his racist evil ideas and results. It's ironic and unbelievable that while certain wokeness advocates wax hysterically about white supremacy and racism in America, past and present, they also eagerly and grotesquely defend Darwin. Why? Are Darwin's enthusiasts simply insincere and unprincipled? Unless they take a stand against his theories and machinations, we cannot take the wokesters seriously or view them any other way. People exercising woke hysterics and projecting guilt on others about the atrocities of slavery should be reminded about how Darwin's style ideas impacted the infamous Supreme Court decision in the Dred Scott case. 
Dred Scott's outcome came as a direct result of ideas that Darwin tied to prove true using his theories. The Dred Scott case considered whether all humans have the right to freedom and found that no person of African ancestry could claim citizenship in the United States. The decision stated, slaves had been regarded as beings of, an, and I'm reading this so you can't see the little dot, dot, dots, um, but he does like skip like these huge paragraphs, which is not taken out of context, but I just want you to know, like I'm not reading straight sentences. <laughs> slaves, dot, 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 had been regarded as beings of an inferior order, dot, 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 so far inferior that they had no rights which the white man was bound to respect and that the Negro might justly and lawfully be reduced to slavery for his benefit. And that was Scott versus Sandfield, 1857. When will Wokesters, college professors and institutions of learning, K through 12 and universities, take a definitive stand against inconvenient truths and facts about Darwin. Fortunately, the preponderance of evidence and facts have pushed some to begin to awaken truly. One university has seen enough evidence and is committed to, to not continually defend the indefensible. They have already called out Darwin as a racist. According to a University of Sheffield, England, teaching and research handbook, the theory of evolution mastermind Charles Darwin, quote, held racist views because his science was used to, quote, justify white male superiority, unquote. Closing the loop, the point of becoming woke is to be fully enlightened and awakened fundamentally. When you are awakened to the fact that Darwin is pr principally responsible for amplifying white supremacy, myriad bigotry, and racism in America, you can't go back to sleep. Let's get woke up. And again, you know, we sometimes we know about the Dred Scott or we only hear it in passing. Can you can you tell us a little more history about Dred Scott? Do you know that, Kevin? You're on mute on your phone still. Kevin, are you there? Okay, I was in my phone malfunction and operator error and all kinds of stuff. I don't want to bore you with details. So, <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, Dred Scott, I am not a scholar on the, the legal about that, but when you read the decision, especially, you know, as free, as free human beings, everybody in America today, it's, it's really astounding that he actually wrote that in a legal opinion. I mean, it's like, wow, the judge literally wrote this preposterous, uh, you know, judgment. And that's what covered us for, you know, for you know, that, that was the decision, right? Now, here's the thing. Some people will say, well, it looks like uh, Origin of Species actually came out a few years later than Dred Scott. But they, 
you know, Origin of Species was not um, Darwin's. Uh, that may have been his first major publication, but he was a scientist in, in the scientist communities and doing collaborations. He did some collaborations in 1844 uh, on natural selection and some of these, these grotesque theories. So his works were out there and people understood that this is an up and coming notable scientific mind. So Darwin had already concluded prior to his works that first came out in 1859, uh, that there was uh, this subhuman categories, uh, you know, because he, he needed to point to somebody about evolution. Because if you, if you really consider evolution and you consider the fact that, well, we have all of these ethnicities here how could you really point to that we actually evolved from something? So Darwin conveniently used, as part of the evolutionary theory and natural selection and that, he conveniently used blacks. He says, look, they're lower on the evolutionary scale. I mean, they showed you, you know, when they fully evolve, uh, they'll be, you know, able to, you know, have sentence structures like we do. They'll be able to have an intellectually... Uh, you know, competent decision, uh, discussions and and cognitive development. But right now, look at them. They, they're they're tantamount to apes, savages, gorillas. They're clearly subhuman. That notion was out there already, and that's why the judge, uh, you know, really pivoted off that. He says, "Look, these people aren't even, you know, they're not human. What are you talking about? Why are you bringing a lawsuit? Why do you have me judge over a lawsuit when these people are not human? They're subhuman." And they can be treated any old kind of way. Treat them as property, because that's what they are. So um, so I want people to understand that Darwin had a profound effect, even before some of his major publications, before his natural selection and uh, the descent of man, his two major publications. And it profoundly infect, affected judgments and judges and legislation and everybody. It was just, it was just the way it was. Okay, I was just looking up Dred Scott for myself to refresh my memory. And if anyone's listening, they're like, I, I've heard that. So what happened is um, in 1846, an enslaved black man named Dred Scott and his wife Harriet sued for them freedom in the St. Louis Circuit Court. They claimed that they were free due to their residence in a free territory where slavery was prohibited. The odds were in their favor. They had lived with their enslaver and army surgeon at Fort Snelling, then in the free territory of Wisconsin. The Scots' freedom could be established on the grounds that they had been held in bondage for extended periods in a free territory and were then returned to a slave state. The courts had ruled this way in the past. So what happened was their 11-year struggle, it turned into an 11-year legal battle. And, you know, they lost. Um, so that's kind of the, that's what happened. That's how the Dred Scott decision, or what the, the Dred Scott case uh, was about. And kudos to them for filing, you know, taking their wherewithal to take their discussion, to take their fight 
that they should be free, but they were not considered citizens of the United States. And so therefore they didn't have those rights. And that came about. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. Okay. So we're seeing, go ahead, Lonnie. I, I was just thinking, um, there's much, many arguments that take place even today about the so-called separation between church and state, or if we get more clearly what we're talking about, morality and state, morality and government. And here's a sterling example that uh, because of the lack of morality or church applied to governmental policies, inhumanity demand takes place. And I find it really interesting with the Dred Scott decision because uh, morality wasn't applied, church, religion, um, and I'm talking about Christian church, um, wasn't applied uh, because it was justified in the depicting of the dealing with uh, Dred Scott because science had come on the scene and was usurping the gospel and uh, the true authority that comes from our creator above that this heinous thing can take place as it you know revolves in and around slavery in general and, and how uh, blacks were treated in America during that time. I just find it really interesting that uh, um, there it is applied because uh, many times I've argued with folks who still want to throw that up. Uh, separation between church and state. I said, well, if you pull out church from having influence over the state, what you're doing is you're pulling out morality and what you end up with is what we have here with Dred Scott. Back to you, Gina. We had uh, some people join us on the platform. Either one of you have any questions or anything you want to say? Jordan? Major daughter? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so the last few questions we want to dabble. Go ahead, Major Daughter. Yes, uh, thank you so much for bringing me up and greetings to everybody on the stage and in the room. I just wanted to add on what Lani was saying um, about the relationship between the church and the state. In fact, I've always been saying that there's a marriage between the two and it goes way back and that marriage cannot be broken now and we can now want to separate the church and the state and this is what we have been um, pushing for in South Africa especially during the hard lockdowns that we we experienced across the world in South Africa we really used that relationship to speak to the state, to speak to those in leadership in a language that they will understand from those who are supposed to have influence on them because the church needs to be involved in, in, in the state affairs and have some kind of influence like what we have seen before. And for us, in the country here and some other countries in Africa who also took on the same kind of approach and strategy we used, it worked because one, 
the churches that were shut down and locked down were reopened even though it sent tongues working that also followed in other uh, um, African countries. We saw the same thing follow. So that marriage is there and the believers and the people on the ground should always insist on that because if the church doesn't reign on the state, morality will be gone. If the church cannot rebuke the state, uh, let's forget about having any state at all without the participation of the church. All right. Thank you. Regina. Thank you, Major Daughter. Appreciate that. And um, hearing, you know, that it's still, it's not just a, a U.S. thing or a North American thing. It's a humanity thing right? Everywhere um, there is this, the insidiousness of separating church and state, but it, it comes from this underlying, comes from underlying sin, really. Go ahead, Lonnie. You're just going to say, amen, amen, amen. Um, science has usurped the church in its um, its position as the uh, the conscience of uh, uh, of, of government and, and of a nation, and when when the church backs off its responsibility, which you have as the chaos that takes place, uh, with we're talking about uh, uh, slavery in America, and just uh, in, in general, we see it um, all the way up into what we're dealing with with ter- today's current events. Uh, so we must speak speak up. And I just find it interesting, I wanted to mention that uh, nowhere in the founding documents of this nation is there any uh, reference to a separation of church and state. It was actually a letter that Thomas uh, Jefferson wrote to uh, concerning a church and was actually speaking to that government has no business being involved in and of the church. It's actually the other way around. So um, kudos, dear sister, for, for bringing that up as it relates to what's taking place in South Africa. Thank you, Gina. You're welcome. And, you know, drawing, if you missed it, but like drawing the line, the connection point, you know, we're talking about church and state. And so how does scientific justification play a role in what is part of this wedge? Right, because it's not just the wedge that is trying to, or has in many cases, separated church and state, has many layers to it. It's a mixture of things. It's not just one thing. But I would think that it all kind of boils down to really about power, right? Because I can do what I want to do if I don't have a moral authority or if I don't have accountability, you know, and ask the state who's really going to check you, right? Unless you have a moral entity that you have kind of given that authority to, that you have submitted that power to yourself so that you can hold yourself accountable, that you can be checked because, you know, we can set up laws to be checks and balances, if you will, but 
We all know that there are ways around laws if you really want to get around laws. But what needs to come in is this moral conviction, right? This moral, hey, look at this. And we can all think of the perfect example with David, Bathsheba, and Nathan. David was the king. He could do whatever he wanted to do, whenever he wanted to do it, because he was king. There was no laws that stopped him from having someone murdered, taking someone for their wife. That's what kings did. That's what was, in fact, um, our apostle has taught us really well about the fact that Samuel, the prophet, told them, listen, if you want a king, this is what the king is gonna do to you. <laughs> you know, you want a king like other nations? Here's a job description. They're gonna take all your best servants. They're gonna take all your best workers. They're gonna take your daughters. They're gonna take your sons and make them run before their chariots. They can take and do whatever you want. If you should decide that you want a king, here are what they can do. And they said, give us a king. And so David as king, nobody in the kingdom checked him. They had to know. I mean, the servants know, there's no secrets, you know? They had to know what happened. But who's going to tell the king, you know, <clears throat> you shouldn't be sleeping with that person because that person's wife. You know, you shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't send him out there to die. He was a king. But then the church came and checked his butt. And when it checked him, he repented. He's like, you know what? Let me take off my robes. Let me step out of my role as king and remember of my humanity, my creator who created me and what it is that he expects of me. And so <clears throat> when we don't allow the church and the state to be the, uh, when we separate them and, and there are many ways that we do that. And one of them we're talking about is the way that scientific justification for making one race, the dominant race, becomes more than just power, it becomes ultimate greed. And then what happens is it's able to say that I don't need any authority. Once science comes in, once knowledge comes in, knowledge then begins to rebuke morality instead of the other way, instead of you know allowing morality to govern knowledge. So, um, I don't see any comments on Facebook or YouTube. Anyone in our audience, if you have a question, you can raise your hand and we'll bring you up. Um, so just these last few questions from the book and then we'll be done with this chapter. And so it says, look inwardly and ask yourself, given Darwin's racist and supremacist ideas clothed as science, can you say Darwin was evil? If so, should you be teaching K through 12 students evil? Realizing Darwin pressed racist and white supremacist ideas as unquestionable science, shouldn't people who still worship and extol him be themselves deemed racist and white supremacist? You can't have it both ways. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. provided a poignant context for how we should begin to perceive and assimilate our thoughts about using violence as a tool for justice. 
Darwin's justification for white supremacy and racism necessarily evokes and promotes violence. However, violence precipitated by Darwinist theory seems to be somehow excused until now. Please hearken to Dr. King's words of wisdom. Quote, violence as a way of achieving racial justice is both impractical and immoral. Violence is impractical because it is a descending spiral end in destruction for all. It is immoral because it seeks to humiliate the opponent rather than win his understanding. It seeks to annihilate rather than convert. Violence is immoral because it thrives on hatred rather than love. Unquote. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So let's get seriously woked up. All right. That was, um, we got through chapter three. Next week, we're going to go into chapter four, but I, I want to give Kevin and Lonnie a chance to say some things. Maybe we'll end a little earlier today than our normally, sometimes we go over an hour, but we might finish at just an hour. But, um, mm -hmm. let me give Gina? it to, yes, Lonnie, go ahead. I just, it's something I want to want to ask Kevin because I would like him to share with uh, um, our listenership. How is it that Darwinism has been so readily accepted within the institutions of higher learning? And specifically, I mean, Kevin, seminaries, um, places where clergy go get trained up to uh, go out and preach the gospel and found churches and, and um how is it that they were able to get such a, uh, uh, I guess I can say stranglehold, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with a lot, many of these institutions that are producing clergy that are Darwinist. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, brother. Yeah, good question. Uh, first, uh, I want to address, uh, I think Regina had asked whether we had the uh, past Blumenbach. Yeah, we did the chap past chapter. We, we actually had Blumenbach in there. So yeah, this is, because I was curious about that too. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so why is Darwin is uh, readily accepted, not only in our seminaries, but you know, K through 12 education, yeah. all of our scientists and doctors still heavily rely on Darwin's theories, right? Um, you know, he had some good science, literal science that he had done, but these evolutionary theories are the ones that, that, that seem to have the most, um, you know, have the most uh, stamina really, um, around his works. And the only conclusion that I can draw is you have a lot of people that have protected his actual quotes. Uh, you have a lot of people that will do a revisionist type of a, a narrative about him. He's always revered, uh, revered in, in, in really highly intellectual settings that would be scientific and, and medical. And, and, uh, and I think that when you, when it comes to uh, K through 12 or K through 16, right. Even four years of college, um, there's just a lot of ignorance about what, what Darwin did, how this came about like his mindset. So a lot of people, they see Darwin in, 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 in fractions, right? They see his work in particular in specific areas, but they don't put together the entire narrative about what was driving him. What was he really saying? Uh, this book 
you know, we have historian Bill Federer who read, read the book and he says, Kevin, I've written a lot about Darwin and about Marx. He has the American Minute. And uh, he says, I never put this together. He said, this is amazing how you put together the thinking, the background, why they thought this way, what was the genesis uh, or motivations, if you will, of, of kind of bringing them forth in the way that they did. And he says, look, I, you know, a lot of the stuff I knew, a lot of the stuff I didn't, but you li really thoroughly connected the dots. Now, I'm not telling you to boast about the book. I'm just saying um, this book does connect the dots in ways that other writings about Darwin or Marx or Saul Alinsky doesn't. I mean, they, they, they see these figures in a, a slice or a fractional part of their life, and they take that specific area without connecting all of the other areas. So you don't get a full picture of how a lot of this, these theories and, and motivations for doing these theories, how, how this all came about. So I think that's, that's why is because they get a, just a slice at a time of Darwin. Go ahead, Lonnie, your follow up, just your thoughts since uh, he kind sure. of came back to you um, and then we'll have Kevin wrap it up. Thanks, Kevin. Um, thanks for illuminating that. Um, I, I do believe it connects the dots because uh, when I'm, uh, I'll say arguing points with uh, <laughs> those who have the mantle of faster, um, that's one area I really kind of hone in on is um, how can you equate the gospel and so forth and at the same time accept a, um, a thought process that literally goes against what scripture says um, but i think it's because uh, what you state they, they they able to homogenize what darwin's actually saying instead of just us putting the truth out there he was a uh, uh, he, he was a racist and a bigot and he had a completely different agenda and it was an anti-god agenda and uh, so for anyone that 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 wells wears the uh, clerical collar, they they must understand that, and they can't. But then if they come through institutions of higher learning where they got their credentials to preach the gospel, and those institutions are uh, have segued and um, uh, walking along that line of uh, you know of accepting Darwin's uh, principles and, and and beliefs as a uh, gospel when it's just mainly theory. Um, that's what we have today. So uh, thank you for illuminating that. Um, I'll use that additional information in my arguments with clergy going forward. Thank you, Regina. So to as a as a you know as a concluding thought, um, what we're what we're seeing is uh, what's culminating here is a more rounded picture of Darwin, right? Uh, we're seeing his motivations, we're seeing his heart, we're seeing his heart was completely anti-God, that's one thing. We're seeing his heart was completely anti, you know, any other ethnicity. He didn't care. He wanted all ethnicities to be done with. So when we start to see this, we're faced now with a, at a, at a juncture, internally, individually. Do I then renounce and denounce Darwin and all of his works, except his scientific work, all of his theories? Do I renounce and denounce Darwin and all of his theories? As a pastor, as a leader, as a missionary worker who've been steeped in, in Darwinistic thought, this is your juncture. 
you, you, you can certainly say, look, I'm going to, I don't care. I'm just going to keep, you know, supporting uh, Darwinism and, and then Marxism later and all that. I, I'm gonna, that's cool with me, but okay, that's fine. Just own the label. Just put your hand up and say, look, I am perfectly okay with white supremacy and racism. That's me. I am a Darwinistic person. And that's, that's how I see it. And that's what I am. That's the juncture there. It's binary. It, there, it, you know, you got, you got one decision. Am I going to renounce and denounce this demon, demonistic uh, evil of this guy? Or am I going to fully embrace it? There is no in between. You can't say, well, I'm going to embrace this part. No, no, no. Are you going to renounce and denounce him? Or are you not? If you're not, that's okay. You have an opportunity now going forward to say, look, I'm tired of calling others white supremacists and racists. That's actually me. And I would respect you if you just did that. That's that's cool. At least we know. Okay. <laughs> you know, you're, you know. So um, obviously I'm being facetious with all of this, but that's that's the juncture where we're at, folks. And uh, so as we start to work with our friends, family, and neighbors, and we bring them along with this, at some point we ask the question to them, okay, what are you going to do about this? You know, are you going to denounce everything Darwinistic? Or are you going to continue to embrace it? So I hope this is making sense to you. I hope, you know, this kind of is conjuring up some things in you. And it's okay if it conjures up, you know, consternation and un, you're not really sure and all, that's fine. Uh, you know, you just got to deal with that, pray about it, whatever you got to do. Um, so I, I thank Regina again for, for hosting this again this week. This is a fantastic time with you guys. Yeah, I'm curious if the audience members have anything additional to add before. I do, I do not, but thank you. This is the end of our discussion today. Thank you so much for joining us. We would love to hear your voice, so please consider joining us live on Clubhouse every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week, have a great day.